Good morning. Uh, I'm doing this uh, podcast from home. I uh, injured my um, ankle pretty severely and uh, broke the the bottom of the uh, non-weight-bearing bone in the leg, but it wasn't displaced. But I haven't been getting around very well, and I didn't go to the meetings for uh, about 10 days, so I didn't record any podcasts. I just thought I'd give a little up-to-date. It's uh, We started the 16th year uh, this past uh, Saturday. Actually, it was September 26th was of 2008 was the date of our first uh, meeting of Experience the Big Book. And so we're now in our 16th year. Um, my plan is I'm going to be 73 in a month, is to finish uh, where on uh, their solution today. We started more about alcoholism. I recorded that talk uh, last night. Um, to f- go through the book, finish the first 164 pages, and then um, really not do any further podcasts. The the site itself, if you're listening on the podcast sites, the site experiencethebigbook.org has uh, over 600 podcasts. I've done the book several times. Each time I do it, I cover different aspects. I don't have any planned um talk. I just have uh, done this so long. I just look at it and see what God reveals for me to uh, expound upon. I give all the credit for this to God. It was done uh, really to help me deal with my son's death and to help uh, someone else by expounding on the big book. I've been studying uh, scripture uh, the last six years, seven years since I retired. I hadn't really studied it then that much and I thought I really didn't need to because I'm you know I knew the big book so what could the uh, scriptures teach me you know which is typical alcoholic thinking for me and I was wrong again uh, the more I study the scriptures I see the big book and the principles that we're trying to use so we grow in the image and likeness of our creator and establish a relationship with him um, on the site itself, if you go to full podcasts, if you go to episodes, there's full podcast archives. You could just scroll down, and there's a lot more than just uh, going through the book. I've done the steps we took, which is a fantastic uh, book by Joe McHugh. It's very straightforward. He was the original Joe of Joe and Charlie, and his thoughts on each step. It goes through step one through twelve, and there's some. Uh, Um, appendices at the back that are great on uh, uh, that are very very good Um, I've done that that's recorded Um, it's it's uh, so much uh, information it it illuminates the information the big book what I was saying is when I listen to scripture I listen to people expound the scripture I can't read the scriptures myself and really understand it And I found the same thing with the big book, just having, I believe, just me reading it, and I had read it for several years, so I listened to Joe and Charlie. I really had no idea uh, the significance of the things I was reading and how it was laid out and put together. And I think it's the same thing with with Scripture for me. I'm not saying that's true for everybody else. And so 
Um, the idea was to um, use God to help me see and expound on this, and I think I've gotten better through the years. I, I started with notebooks and, and listening to different people, and I've listened to most of the AA talks on XA speakers on the front page, all those fellowships and workshops and all the Sandy Beach tapes and so much information because I would listen on my exercise bike when I wasn't listening to medical oncology updates. And when I swam, I'd listen to AA uh, speakers on the MP3 and uh, when driving. And, and so all that information has come together I think um, we all have different tools that we use to serve the Lord. Uh, the one thing I think he gave me was a, a good mind, an analytical mind, and I think it's helped me to expand. And I had to study and uh, use uh, a lot in the beginning, and I had notebooks, which I uh, were going to move, and I have those notebooks, and I'm just going to, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. A lot of people want them, uh, to, but... Uh, uh, that's what I did, and I had stopped using notebooks after a while. And uh, I can't tell you all the uh, different talks that we've done. If you look at the site, there's uh, speaker meetings I've done. Um, I've done the Carry This Message by Joe McHugh, which is excellent on uh, how we carry the message to someone. And in and, and studying that book, and it's simple. Uh, you realize the message that you need to have yourself. And I've done Drop the Rock, which is excellent on step six and seven. I've done covered that in detail. I've done several stories in the book. I've done other topics, uh, and you can see for yourself. So I, it's a resource. It doesn't cost me very much to keep it up, and I consider that my service and how I carry the message. And uh, assume after I die, someone will pay the $30 a month and keep it up. And a lot of, you know, if it's something that interests someone, they'll, maybe God will lead them to it. If they don't, that's fine. It's not about me. It's not about Dr. Mike and how wonderful I am and all that other nonsense. Um, for those outside of TP, Topeka, uh, I got a lot of crap. I won't say crap, but. There are a lot of people in AA that resented me starting a big book study and, and expounding on the big book, and uh, they, didn't, they didn't like that. They, of course, they never came, and uh, that didn't bother me. It's not my business what people think of me. Uh, I learned that from Chuck C. Uh, and through the years, uh, we, we used to have pretty good crowds uh, we, before COVID. Then after COVID, things changed, and I stopped doing the Sunday night meeting and uh, I am a big Chiefs and football fan, and I used to go every Sunday at five o'clock and work with someone, and at six do the meeting, but I decided I was over 70 and had the knee replacement. I stopped the Sunday night meeting. And so now we have two meetings a week. They're on Zoom if you're interested in joining us. So the plan is to finish the book and have it so that you can scroll in order when the site was set up, it was set up by someone who did a very good job, but it was, we had different nights and we were in different parts of the book and it was a little dysfunctional. So I've made everything Saturday and that's why it's called Saturday, even though they're Wednesday nights and 
somewhere on Sunday nights. So if you're interested in more than just what comes out on the podcast, go to the site and see if it's helpful. There are also, I wrote uh, 75 or 6 thoughts on recovery, uh, things like false pride and AA-proof literature and uh, all sorts of topics. And I wrote those six years ago. They weren't something that I spent hours uh, writing and editing. I just expounded just like I do uh, uh, when I do the book. And then I've done some talks on some of those uh, thoughts. And I may do some when I finish the book. I haven't decided yet. So today we're on page 26. And these are powerful pages that end the chapter. And there's a solution. And we're um, uh, up to this point. Uh, uh, we had doctor's opinion on what was wrong with us, the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. We s drink for the ease and comfort of alcohol. We have no power to uh, stop. Uh, we have to have some psychic change, and that's the only thing that he could describe it. That, uh, And he saw that in Bill and the early uh, AA members, and he couldn't explain it. He didn't know how to make it occur. But he, he said it was, he could see it, it was real. He could see the change in these people. Not just that they weren't drinking, but the change in their personality. And then there's a solution. We talked about the uh, common peril on page 17. We all have the common peril. We're dying of alcoholism. We have a hopeless condition of mind and body. It, it binds us together, but uh, like the people shipwrecked who come to the, to the shore, it won't, uh, it won't help us stay together, and it won't really change our lives. We're just left with the hopeless condition of mind and body. And it says the real cement that binds us together is the program of recovery. And that's how we get the relationship with God, and it's the relationship with God that gives us the power of choice over alcohol and the power to manage our lives successfully. And then they go through and they d describe how further the allergy of the body, but then they talk about the disease centers in the mind. And at certain times, we have no defense against uh, the first drink. Now, a lot of people read that and they say, well, I'm going to watch for that first time, certain time, and I'll be on alert. Well, that what, that's not what they're saying. They're saying all of us, alcoholics, whether you're new or old, no matter how long you're in your recovery, there can be a certain time we cannot recall into consciousness the humiliation, defeat of even a moment ago. We were without defense against the first drink. And willpower won't work because right before we drink, we only think about what it's going to do for me, not to me. Because our mind is seeking the ease and comfort of alcohol and it's been damaged and nothing can prevent um, Nothing can prevent that uh, obsession from uh, leading to action except God and a relationship with God. And then on the next page, page 24, if you open your book, you'll see that uh, squiggly writing the certain times. The next page is there's a solution. And I'm just... Uh, babbling off of memory now, so I hope you'll bear with me. But I hope you find this review helpful. 
but the solution is that uh, none of us want to do it, but it's going to be a total uh, change in our personality. And the guiding forces in our lives are going to be turned aside. And we're going to seek new guiding forces. And, our, and they're talking about our old ideas will change. We'll discard them. We'll have a new way of life. And we'll have a certainty that our Creator is working in our lives in a way in which was miraculous. And we will be certain that He's there for us. And the great fact is we have a relationship with Him. And then they, um, um, at the end on page uh, 25, it says if you're seriously alcoholic, oh, and they mentioned that he has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could not do for ourselves. And he's, where he's able to manage my life successfully, which I couldn't do. And he's able to keep me from drinking, which I couldn't do. And once you realize that, you trust God, and you rely on Him, and you have a design for living that works. And they say, if you're seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there's no middle-of-the-road solution. The middle-of-the-road solution means that it's my plan. There's, there's no middle road. There's no third door. Either we go on to the bitter end, or we seek the spiritual life. And if you're in a position where life has become impossible, and if I've passed into the region from which there's no return from human aid, which was true for me, when I uh, gave up on uh, February 8th, uh, 2000, um, I, I was in a position where I, I, I was done. I was completely surrendered. There was no... I'd pass into the region from which there was no return from human aid. And it wasn't just the addiction, it was the unmanageability of my life produced by my self-centeredness and bad decisions. So if you've passed into that region, you only have two alternatives. And that's why it's so important to take the first step because you see, you only have another alternative. You can go in the way you are and die, or you can seek spiritual help and a spiritual way of living. There's no other way, and I can't, I can't help get people to see that when they come in. They're defeated, they, they, they seem defeated, and they've taken their first step, but they can't see that there's no other way except by doing the steps. Meetings have become uh, a popular way of recovery, and they're good, and they're essential. And I'm working with a uh, man now who's doing great. He's in his fourth step, and he's very uh, motivated. And meetings are good for him. He was describing one he went to last night where somebody else, uh, he's a lot younger than me, somebody else was describing they were new and their experience and uh, how they were uh, trying to... Uh, uh, grow and spiritually and that, and that helped him and he shared with him and so it's a great means of of communicating with fellow people who are on the road to the spiritual life remember we want a fellowship of the spirit not just a fellowship and the program is not the fellowship the program is the action of the steps which produce the change and the fellowship is designed to keep us taking the action to produce change 
with other people who are taking the action to produce change. And it said, if you've reached that point where there's no help through human aid, we have but two alternatives. One is to go to the bitter end, and they say blotting out the consciousness, the awareness of our tolerable situation as best we can. In other words, you just keep going on, and you keep drinking, and your life's unmanageable, and it's, your life's just horrible. Or to seek to accept spiritual help. We have to accept spiritual help. It's available. It's available to all of us. When we study we agnostics, we're going to see that it's available to all of us because deep down inside of us is the fundamental idea of God, but I've blocked them out. So I'm going to accept spiritual help by seeking it and uh, tr facing and be rid of the things that are blocking me from spiritual help. And in order to accept spiritual help, I have to stop uh, my, my plan, my design for living. And it says, this we did because we wanted to and we were willing to make the effort. So if you want to and you're willing to make the effort, effort and you do the effort, your life has changed. I think it's a promise that if you do everything up to page 88, you continue to do it, your life will change, you'll have uh, peace, and you won't drink. Do that and prove me wrong. Send me an email. I'm smiling because uh, uh, for me, that's true. And I've heard it said, and I believe it's true. Because you'll maintain your conscious contact with God if you do that. And remember, our problem is conscious separation, and the solution is conscious contact. And if I keep doing the deal, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm still going to have my character defects, and I'm still going to get disturbed, but I'll have the spiritual tools uh, through conscious contact with God that will produce um, a relationship with Him. And when I have these emotional disturbances, I have the ability to get back on the beam with Him. So now let's look at Rowan Hazard. I hope that was a helpful uh, review. Um, um, uh, um, I'm going to stop after a while and then do it so it's not too long to listen to. This is Rowan Hazard. This is where we get the solution from. The program of action we got from the Oxford group, the problem we got from Dr. Silkworth, and the solution we're going to get from Rowan Hazard. So nothing in AA came from alcoholics. It's not that it's original. We stole everything. Uh, and, uh, we, um, and the book was not written by one man alone. That's a misconception. It was written by a variety of people and used a variety of literature. And he, he took from all those uh, that literature and with the help of Dr. Uh, Shoemaker and others uh, put it together. A certain American businessman had ability, good sense, and high character. This is Roland Hazard. And he was from a very wealthy family, I believe in Providence, Rhode Island. They were shipping magnets. And uh, he had ability, good sense, and high character. For years, he had f floundered from one sanitarium to the other. So 
Um, his ability, good sense, and high character didn't protect him from alcoholism. He had consulted the best-known American psychiatrists. And then he had gone to Europe, and Joe and Charlie make the point that he went to uh, um, Dr. Young, who was a well-known, prominent psychiatrist at that time. This is 1932. There was a Dr. Adler in America, and then there was uh, Dr. Freud. And they said, if we went to Dr. Freud, uh, who knows what would have happened to us. But Dr. Young, you'll see, had the humility and the insight to give us the solution. And the solution that he gave was outside of him, his abilities, and uh, was profound. And he had seen it, in, and we're going to read it in a few minutes. For he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He consulted the best-known American psychiatrist. Then he had gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician, the psychiatrist Dr. Young. And, and when he placed himself in the care of a celebrated physician, he was beginning the road to God. And I have to place myself in the care of God, right? That's what we say in our third step. And then I have to allow him to take care of me by doing the things in the steps. Who prescribed for him? Now, it doesn't mean when you say that that you don't have responsibility. My responsibility is to do the actions that allow him to take care of me. Though experience had made him skeptical, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. So some people said he was there a year, I don't know. Uh, his physical and mental, but that, uh, um, his physical and mental condition were unusually good. Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the innermost workings of his mind. And I said he had acquired from who? From himself, from his self-analysis. And it's hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. So he, he, was, he was thinking of relapse in terms of uh, drinking again. Now it's unclear whether he told Dr. Young he was an alcoholic and whether they were doing therapy uh, on the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs to keep him from drinking again. He was confident in himself. So self-knowledge and confidence. And guess what that happened? Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time, so that didn't work. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. So he returned to his doctor, whom he, and then Joe and Charlie make the point, I don't know if it's true, I've read a lot of AA history, but Roland apparently uh, wasn't very long after he left Switzerland that he got drunk. And they make the uh, point that somebody asked him if he wanted wine with dinner, and he said, sure. And then he was off and running. We don't know. But he did go back to Switzerland. And uh, he returned to the doctor whom he admired and asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things and he didn't know why he couldn't do it. He wished above all things to regain self-control. Now self cannot overcome self. A sick mind can't treat a sick mind. We talk about that all the time. 
He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. And I guess he understood that. And the control over alcohol comes from God and not from self. So he was doing a self-help program, a self-analysis program to regain self-control, but it would never work. That's why I ask people what their plan is when they come in, and they tell me, and it sounds very reasonable. But the only plan that works that I know of is the plan in this book, and that's why I expound on it and believe in it so passionately. And I hope through the 16 years it's helped someone. It's helped me. And um, uh, we, can't, uh, we can't fix it ourselves. Uh, it has to come from the relationship with God, which is expounded in this book. And it was the purpose of the book. It was their testimony of how they had recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body. And we're going to see on page 44 they're going to talk about God. He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless, and we've gone through why. He had passed through the region beyond which there was no human aid. And I guess the doctor hadn't seen this, or maybe Roland didn't tell him the whole truth. You know how that is. We'll go to Switzerland, pay a fortune, but not really want to tell him everything, you know. Anybody ever do that? I'm sure I have. Um, In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. Now, I had patients who had stage four cancers and their position was essentially utterly hopeless, but I never told them that. I never said that. I never told someone, you're gonna die. And I never, I've told alcoholics that, but I never told my patients that. I never told them how long they were gonna live. I just would show them the scans, explain their situation, and tell them that we didn't have the power at this point to, to control that disease and make it go away, but that we had things we could possibly do to slow it down. Of course, God is in charge, and we don't know what could happen, and there could be treatments coming that would, that would change it in the future, and we would just do the best we could, but the result was up to God. And then when they would get worse, I would tell them that, you know, we've done the best we can and that they're, you know, we need to stop. I don't know of any treatment that was going to change this and we have to accept it. And uh, that was hard and it's a journey. It's a journey with every individual patient. And I think I was told I was very good at it handling people. And, uh, um, but it's still hard. And it was hard, you know, when you take care of someone for five or six years, you see them almost every week or every other week, and then you finally have to, um, you know that you can't change things and you've done everything you can. And I would have to, uh, the patients trusted me by that point, and I would tell them, you know, we could give you something else, but it's not gonna do any good. Some of them, when they accept that, they go all over and get treatments and this and that, and. And uh, I would make the point about the serenity prayer that we have to accept the things we can't change and the courage to change we can, and we need the serenity from God to be able to know that. And if I try to change something that I need to accept, I'm just going to cause you 
discomfort and ruin the quality of your life in the days you have left. And when I did put people in hospice and I knew I might never see them again, sometimes I did go to the hospice house and visit them, um, I would always give them a return appointment. I would never say, no, you're not coming back. I'd always give them a return appointment. And I'd tell them to call me and tell me how it was going. And uh, that was sad, but I hope you don't mind my talking about that. But that's the difference, because I see alcoholics who are completely hopeless. And if I would, could give my patients this book to read and said, let's do these uh, steps and follow the instructions, they'd do it. They wouldn't fight it. We have a disease that tells us we don't need this. And that's why we die. And so some have been given the gift, and some haven't. That's why I don't think we're better if you've worked the steps and you're in recovery a long time than those who aren't. It's just we were given a gift. I believe the grace of God, something God did in us that changes. And then as we keep doing it, uh, we get more power from God. I like to think about it. I've used the analogy of the magnet and the paper clip. And uh, when I came in, I was pretty far from the magnet, which is the power of God. And as I get closer, the magnet pulls me closer to him, and I have his power. And I don't want to get my paper clip too far away from the magnet. And I want to get closer and closer all the time. And as I do, I feel better. My life's better. I'm less disturbed all the time. So anyway, uh, I got off on a tangent. Uh, I do that when I do these at home, but I hope it's been helpful. I'm just going to write, uh, finish a few more paragraphs, and then I'll uh, do another one at home on the following, because I finished this chapter. Uh, we finished this chapter, but I wasn't at the meetings, wasn't able to record it. So it says, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. This was the great physician's opinion. But this man still lives, and he's a free man. How'd that happen? He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, and here's the thing, provided that he remains, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. And what's that simple attitude? God is his director. I seek him in all things. Without him, I'm nothing. Surrender all the time. Be willing to do whatever it takes. Some of our readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with this doctor. I think I'll stop there and I'll do another podcast and I'll put them out fairly close together so that uh, you can, uh, uh, it'll be uh, continuous. But a lot of people don't want to listen for more than 30 minutes. So um, I'm going to do that and then I'm going to pick up and pick up from there and I'll put them out sequentially on the site. Thank you very much for your time.